What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. There are 105 calendar days left of this year, one where there's still the suffering for many and the toll from the pandemic. Today, we'll talk about what we fear most, death and dying, but specifically living with the death of a loved one. Cheryl Crowder, author of Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go, published by She Writes Press, is with us to share her knowledge, emotions, and firsthand experience. Welcome, Cheryl. Great to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here, Diane. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I'm, I'm so very sorry for your loss. This is still fairly recent, and um, I just extend sincere condolences to you. You've written a deeply personal and raw memoir. How is it to have it out in the world now? <laughs> well, you know, that's such a great question because after I, I, I wrote it, and yes, it is very raw, and I, in the writing of it, was very, I would say it was healing. It was clearly cathartic and difficult, but very healing. And then, of course, in any uh, book that one writes, you know, then you edit it and craft it and hope that, you know, you're, you're putting something into the world that um, is well done and also can help others. And then once I turned it in, though, Diane, once I turned it in, you know, okay, now we're done. There's no more edits. There's, there's nothing more to do. I really got scared and very anxious and thought to myself, you know, what have I done? I've basically opened up my chest and poured myself into the world. So I I did go through a period of anxiety, but then when I worked with it and let myself lean into that fear and anxiety, where I landed was in a place of vulnerability. And so Mm -hmm. for me, the... Traveling through that territory led me into a new place of deeper vulnerability, and a vulnerability because I believe that, that we're all vulnerable and that it's actually a beautiful, creative, sensitive place to be. So it was mm-hmm. quite a process from start to finish. Uh, and now, of course, that it's out in the world and has been, you know, since July, it, it sort of doesn't belong to me anymore. I don't know if you've experienced that. I think I think that authors do that once your your work and your books are out in the world, they they leave you. So that's been my that's been my experience. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit of letting go as well. I know um, to your first point, vulnerability that is the hallmark of really sharing. Um, I think that that. There's a lot of strength in that, Cheryl. And I have heard other authors, in, including uh, Ann Patchett, talk about how she mm. couldn't be less interested once she releases a book in the world. She doesn't even track it or 
or anything. Um, uh-huh. And that, you know, that's a kind of uh, refreshing point of view. Um, but I, I also think, you know, to your point of, um, you know, helping to to heal others, that is in your nature. Um, I'm going to let our listeners know, Cheryl Crowder is an ex- existential humanistic psychotherapist with more than 40 years experience in the field of depth psychology and human consciousness. Your background in theater arts, working with performing artists, visual artists and creative people has inspired your work um, if I could just pause there I can see that you've you've reinvented yourself um, from the arc of working with creatives to now being uh, a therapist and I wonder how mm-hmm. you describe yourself now that you've become also um, you, a memoirist you have two other books out in the world that are nonfiction mm-hmm. books but now that you've become a memoirist, how do you describe yourself? Hmm, let me have give that some thought. Um, I think I would always describe myself, and you're right, I am, I, I've really lived my life in commitment to uh, serving others, and um, as a psychotherapist, you know, for all these years, I, I hope that I have helped people, have guided people, helped people find, you know, their true essence who they are. But as I'm thinking, as I've gone through different experiences in my life, the other books I've written are on cancer. Um, I had a very serious cancer diagnosis now, 14 years ago, wahoo. And from that, I reinvented myself into into the world of working with cancer, with life-threatening illnesses, both the, the patients, the partners. I work with people all the way from, you know, early diagnosis, although most people don't don't really start looking at you know, what's happened for them while they're going through treatment, but they often do it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So there I found myself, and again, in, in this situation, thought very long and seriously, like, do I really want to enter that world? Do I want to stay in the world of illness and cancer? And mm-hmm. it felt compelled to do so. So there was an invention. And then, of course, you know, as I say about my books, I write books that either people don't want to read. They're about cancer. Who wants to have cancer? Um, and then I write a book that I really wish I didn't have to have written, which was about the sudden death of my husband. Mm-hmm. So I had never imagined myself writing a memoir. So it, it came from me. But then from that, I guess now I would describe myself. And it's interesting. Even this morning, I, I received a, a communication um, about wondering if I could work with a sudden and really tragic death that had happened. So now I find myself saying, yes, I deal with grief and loss, and particularly those who have endured a sudden loss. So interesting that I've invented myself into different places that grew out of my own experience. I think that's what I would say as I sort of meander through this question, um, mm-hmm. is that my, my inventions have come from my, the depth of my experience. 
And I, I think that's right to the point of um, the essence of who you are, who we are as as readers um, gets gets sharpened and honed by reading such an authentic account as yours. Uh, I couldn't help but wonder, um, and I will just give this this brief on Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. It begins with the sudden death of your spouse five months later in a stroke of irony and magic your husband wins a long desired guided fly fishing trip in a raffle and you cheryl decide to go in his place fulfilling a promise to scatter his ashes by a trout stream um i i really wondered in in terms of the therapeutic world and your connection to your clients patients um did you feel did you feel as a natural empath in the first regard did you feel more connected did you feel that you had to pull back or did you feel more that you were you know even more empathic and more giving of yourself um how did it affect or how did it impact your your therapeutic mm. skills mhm mhm more experience well, to, to yeah to sort of return to the theme of vulnerability um, I work very uh, I, I have a depth psychotherapy practice so that means I work um, you know with people for a long for often for long periods of time so I'm also quite transparent in my work I mean I don't you know sit and blather at them it's not my it's not my time it's theirs but um, I'm not one of these these um, therapists who sort of sits back and just nods the head, and I'm very relational. So because I'm so relational in my work, you know, when this happened, I realized, and because I'd had cancer, uh, which they saw, I, I was able, you know, fortunately, to continue working when I had cancer. So many of these people had seen me, um, you know, completely without any any hair, no eyebrows, no hair, nothing. Had had you know I'd I'd been with them through that, um, and that had been very powerful for a number of people actually to see that um, I could still be present, and sometimes it helped them just by looking at me. You know, not because I was doing anything brilliant except trying to survive. Um, mm-hmm. That they felt, oh, you know, I that they some of them felt as though they could make also um, very deep changes in their lives, and so. When my husband died so suddenly, and of course, I had to have uh, a colleague call people um, and tell them that I, I wouldn't be there, I thought, you know, if if it would be a very unusual thing for me not to be there, and so I said, just just tell them briefly, you know, what happened. So, they knew, mm-hmm. and um, so when I went back to work, um, it was quite emotional for some people, and um, they they were very empathic with me. I think that it opened up a deeper level of vulnerability in the therapy. And I think as time went on, and particularly after I took this trip and, and you know, all the, all the ensuing years of, of, of grieving and, you know, sort of walking through the storms, my resilience has grown. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in a way it's like, oh, I could take anything, you know, it's all tough, 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 because I don't believe that resilience, um, you know, that being a tough guy is particularly strong, actually. I think it's often the avoidance of, of um, fear. So my pre- I, I 
I hope and I, my, my commitment is to be very present in the room with people. So as I was present with myself, that, of course, was true in the room. And, and I hope that that allowed others to also drop in to that mm-hmm. space with me, you know? Exactly. Well, we communicate a lot, even, you know, in non-verbally and, um, yeah, your, your ability, mm-hmm. right? Your, the energy exchange or just um, being in a room with someone that you know is mourning. And um, there's a mm-hmm. lot of compassion, you know, from, from people then, too. And it sort of changes the dynamic of, okay, the therapist is like the authority or the therapist knows something right. that I don't know. And, and really, I, right. can't, I'm not, I can't be um, emoting to the therapist when, in fact, none of those things are necessarily true. It's, it's kind of a nice change up to have it be um, like a two-way compassion. Um, and I think the idea of us yes, feeling... Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of feeling compassionate to you as the therapist is also healing because it gets you out of yourself, out of your own head and your own set of problems, not that mm-hmm. they're not very, very real. Um, I, I had so many mm-hmm. reactions to this book, and one of the biggest ones was um, the sense that you, you know, you know a lot. I mean, you're a self-aware person in a like really big way. And and you married you yet you married someone who you were utterly smitten with and in love with till the very last day. And he was nothing it struck me, nothing like you in some ways. In some ways. He he was um he could be difficult. He was something of a curmudgeon at times. He was <laughs> a bit rigid with um, his expe- expectations for your son and mm-hmm. what he would mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. growing up. And that, of course, he would em- emulate his dad as a fly fisherman. And who wouldn't want to mm-hmm. go out mm-hmm. and, you know, double waders and stand in a stream for hours and days on end. And, you know, he he didn't really have that empathic thing of like, well, maybe he wouldn't, you know, maybe a kid growing up as an adolescent or a teen really wouldn't want to be doing that thing. So I I think, you know, you were always the, the kind of broker, the negotiator between these personalities. But in some ways, it really showed me how large love is, how generous, Mm -hmm. uh, it can be in terms of embracing differences. I think some women today, including myself at times, have these vaulted expectations that we're going to be just Mm. so much alike that we're, you know, Mm. and and Mm -hmm. one of the things I took away from your book was actually this feeling of acceptance and embracing Mm. of very different kinds of individuals that we choose to love. And I Mm. thought that that was, I thought that that was um, symbolized for the fact from the fact that you actually took on fly fishing yourself, and you know, having <laughs> never done it before, found yourself yeah, in the middle uh-huh. of streams and and boats many times, spending yeah. mm-hmm. because, yeah. because you were devoted to someone for whom that was his great love, uh, his great pastime. Yes, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, are you aware or aware of yourself as um, as kind of this person who reaches like pretty far across to um, mm. to share love, to um, to be mm. accepting, um, to you know, kind of be generous? Um, I just mm. found that to mm. be the case. 
And were you, did you think of yourself uh, that way when you wrote it on the page? Oh, this is so interesting. And I'm, I'm just so appreciative of what, you know, what you're saying and what you've, you've taken from this. I'm, I'm, I'm really touched. And, um, and no, I wasn't, I don't think of myself particularly in that way. I do think of myself, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I do say of myself to people, you know, when I, if I'm with a person and I can't find anything to connect with, which is very rare, that is such a sign to me. It is true that I think of myself as someone who can kind of go beneath the surface of, you know, what we do, our personalities, how we defend ourselves, how we've learned to be in the world, sometimes in ways that, you know, are archaic and ways that we have to let go of. It's like, you know, you're wearing a sweater that you wore when you were five and you're now 50. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I do think of myself as someone that does is able to see deeply and connect deeply. Um, I, the chapter that you refer to, you know, with um, that describes the, the relationship between um, John and, and Ben. Um, and in that chapter, though, and I think this is important, there is a transformation. He does later in life transform and I am so deeply grateful that that happened um, for both of them, but certainly for my son who lost his father at a young age, that the transformation of those rigid expectations was happening. And he began to then open and warm, and they began to actually have a good relationship. So that was a real fortunate passage, you know, would have been terrible had it had had he died and there was still so much conflict. But there was a um, an opening and I deeply believe that people transform and I know that John did in his life mm-hmm. and what I was so incredible that I received in that relationship from him is that I was with somebody who, yes, we were different in many ways, but in some ways, we, you know, we had similarities. We enjoyed each other quite a bit. He could always make me laugh. Um, but what I, what I got from this relationship, without any question, he supported who I was, my independence, um, what, whatever I did, he supported. He backed me every step of the way. And I think that a lot of women... Particularly, I mean, I'm 70 years old, and, you know, we were all in those generations, don't receive that from their spouses or from, you know, from males. And and so that was a a tremendous generosity that I received from John. Right. And I think sometimes that support, um, while it is an incredible um, gift, it comes when you are more sympathetic to others, um, sympathetic to your partner, it's surprising mm-hmm. how much depth there can be to that support when you're not resisting mm-hmm. someone. Um, and I do yeah, agree with yeah. you. It was it was exquisite that your son and your your husband John um, did resolve their differences, and that John became more accepting of who mm-hmm. your son was blossoming into. Um, mm-hmm. Also very. Mm-hmm. Very thankful um, for you that your final words to your husband were, I love you. 
So we yeah. have to stop. Yeah. We have to stop for a commercial break here, but we'll be back very shortly with Shara Crowder, author of Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cheryl Crowder, and she has had a traumatic life experience of losing her dear, dearly beloved husband right in your very own home, Cheryl. Um, he was stoic, John, in those moments, in those final moments. He, he said he would be all right and you should go back, you should go back to bed, which is just mm-hmm. everyone's worst nightmare um, because you yeah. were yeah. Help, helpless in, in the sense of being not, not with him when you actually wanted to be. So you had the parting words. Um, you had the parting words of, I, I love you, thank goodness. And you, you um, went back to bed as he asked, and then he passed away. Um, but you did, when you came back to him after he was, let's say, gone in the traditional sense, but you did have the experience of, of feeling his spirit leave his body, transfer out of this world into the unknown. Um, I, I, I wondered if, um, you know, that, that's an extraordinary experience and, and an incredibly intimate experience. Um, one that, because we don't like to witness death of a loved one, we, we rob ourselves sometimes of that experience. But have you have you had other kinds of spiritual experiences like that? Obviously, not that magnitude. But I mean, were you, was that um, did that come as a surprise to you, or did you think I'm going to feel something, and I I hope I do feel something? I mean, did you expect this kind of um, rush of of energy of of John leaving his body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I've been um, I, I've practiced Buddhist meditation now for gosh since nineteen since the early nineteen eighties. I don't call myself a Buddhist, but I am um, you know a daily meditator. I have um, thought about 
death and, and spirit and I think even as a child, I was fascinated, um, and there's even a section in the book, you know, about, I always, I just wanted a time machine. I wanted to travel you know, through time and back through time, and I actually sort of feel like time, well, I don't feel like it. I think time was sort of an, an invention. Some, somebody invented time, and we needed to sort of, you know, get things more linear. Um, so it's not unusual for me to live or to sort of travel in timeless spaces. I've had some um, quite extensive spiritual experiences. Um, (laughs) Here's a story that I think is is emblematic of that. Um, In in the 80s, this is about the late 80s, mid-80s, I guess, um, I was living in San Francisco, and um, there's a a Zen center called Green Gulch close to San Francisco. And... um, I used to go there sometimes to meditate, um, do some retreats, things like that. And uh, it was a Friday, and I just kept thinking about going to Green Gulch. I, I know, I knew Green Gulch is closed on Friday. You don't go to Green Gulch on Friday. And mm-hmm. um, I was having an acupuncture uh, treatment close to where Green Gulch is, and I was telling my acupuncturist, who also you know had a spiritual uh, thread running through him, and he said, well... Uh, you obviously need to go. So um, it was almost like my car drove me there. Mm-hmm. So I show up at Green Gulch, uh, which is a, a beautiful, it's in this beautiful valley on the way to the beach. It's just a lovely, lovely spot. And I go into the little office, and I said, there's, gosh, there's some cars in the parking lot. Well, this is interesting. Anyway, I go into the office, and um, a young woman is sitting there, and I said, I just was honest. I said, you know, I don't know why I'm here. My car drove me here. And mm-hmm. she looked up at me, and she says, well, I know why. Uh, the Dalai Lama is here. He's in the Wheelwright Center, and obviously you need to be there. So I thought, oh. So I went into the Wheelwright Center, and, and you know, here I am. At this point, I'm like in my, my, my 30s, you know, and um, I probably had jeans on or something totally disrespectful. And here's all these, like, you know, uh, eminent uh, spiritual leaders uh, sitting in, in this a fairly small group, and it's, it's a small, you know, and, and there's the Dalai Lama, and, and Robert Thurman actually is is his translator. This is in the eighties. His English is is not so good. So Robert Thurman is really having to do a lot of translating. And mm-hmm. there is one seat left in this group oh of chairs. One empty seat. And of course, again, I'm sure I violated every possible tenet of spiritual, uh, you know, respect. I climbed over all these people, and the seat was directly in front of him. Oh my gosh. He was, yes, he was um, giving um, the Heart Sutra. He was wow. giving the transmission and the teaching of the Heart Sutra. Wow. And so I sat there receiving this. Then it was over. And when I got up, I realized that I was, I was hallucinating. I thought, you cannot drive. So I, I walked the gardens down to the beach and sat on the beach, and it was not unpleasant. I mean, it was just like colors and lights, and mm-hmm. and um, until I could until I could drive drive back, and uh, and that was 1986. I'm remembering the exact day. It was June. It was June 4th, 1986. And you know, for for years, I worked with that. Like form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. What 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 is this about? And 20 years later, when I had cancer, I was taking a walk with my dog as I tried to sort of get out. I was quite sick. but And as I walked along this path, there was suddenly the light hit 
these what seem to me to be beautiful flowers, which are actually just weeds, but there you go, mm-hmm. it's all in the perspective. And yep. suddenly that light, and I went, I just, I went, oh, and I just got it. I just got it. Like, it's all one. I, I got that whole non, um, non-dual perspective. And um, mm-hmm. so that was like a 20-year process that happened, you know, sort of came together in a moment. So those sorts of experiences I have been interested in. It's interesting. Have I, have I sought them? I've been fortunate that they've come to me, but, but, you know, I was open to it clearly. So I think that's an example of, of what informs. Um, it's a powerful story. It's a powerful experience for me, obviously, for my whole life, you know, um, informs how I view the world and, um, you know, my capacity to be with um, people who are in spaces of dying. My mother died suddenly, too. Uh, my mother uh, had a heart incident um, 45 minutes before my son's second birthday party. Oh, and, um, you know, all the guests were arriving, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was a big chaotic scene, once again, just like this. Um, however, later that evening, um, I had this similar experience of feeling like this energy leaving my chest. Right. So I, I've, had, I've had different experiences. And, of course, I now sit with people who are dying. Mm-hmm. And depending on who they are and, you know, meeting them where they are, these kinds of experiences are helpful for people to, to have some sense that someone who's sitting with them is not afraid right. um, and has some belief of, you know, something. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But I, I have well, experiences and thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to be um, afraid of being alone, for one thing, because then you're not alone. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I and that's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not being at all for Jesus. I think, you know, I, I think we recoil from the idea of sitting with the dying. I've done it. Very much on an, a sort of I, what I felt like was an involuntary level. So many times we had a neighbor who was dying and, and my mother couldn't bring herself mm-hmm. to visit. And I went to sit with her and, and other experiences where I thought to myself, I just wouldn't want to be that person who is like, um, you know, got the plague or, you know, no one wants mm-hmm. to touch you anymore. Nobody wants yeah, to yeah, yeah. connect connect with you. And it's just didn't, you know, I think what happened with you then is you did have some kind of built-in receptivity and then had this incredible experience. Um, So interesting Mm -hmm. to me, I I, I guess I really um, do enjoy hearing your stories about how these things are not necessarily coincidental. It's kind of like lightning rods or, or, you know, a lightning field or something, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to hop to those to those points. And, you know, you talk about time as, as sort of managing experience, linear time and leaving linear time. I wondered then if, you know, in your story, there was a lot about letting go and clearly even catching me yeah, yeah, fly fishing yeah. is letting go. And um, as you mentioned, um, and also the spreading of your husband's ashes, which was incredibly painful to do. But I wondered in addition mm. to the or in contrast to what you're letting go of, what's remained with you? I mean, do you have a sense of his spiritual presence with you uh, at mm-hmm. these at mm-hmm. this point? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that actually both John and I believed is, is that we, you know, that it's important not to hold on to, to the spirit of the person, to really let them go. And I think there's, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, you know, when he's first leaving um, and being who he was, you know, he, he left quickly. Um, I think some people linger, some people leave quickly. I, I believe that, you know, who we are is, is who, who we are in life is who we are in, in our dying process too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the things I said to, as he was, you know, leaving, I said, you know, I, I promise I will let you go. And, that was always hard, particularly at the beginning. At the beginning, I could feel him around a bit, and then I did not feel him at all. And <laughs> when, the, when the book was coming out, I felt his presence quite a bit again, and a friend of mine who knew him quite well said, oh, well, he wouldn't have wanted to have missed that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, <laughs> I, could feel, I could feel him um, around and... Um, and every so often, I, I can, I can. It's almost like a, a, a light that I'll, I'll, I'll sense or feel. And um, but my sense, and, and because he was a, a, a really smart guy, really curious guy, I, I, my sense is that he's having the time of his life. Often, but that he's kind of really on his way. And and there's a part of that that also is poignant for me because that's a big let go. It's like you know. Um, he had a rough beginning in this life, a rough dad, and, and I think, you know, that there's a sense of his freedom that I experience now mm-hmm. and a, a sort of breaking through of a lot that, that bound him in, in, yes. uh, as he lived his life this time. And so that's, that's kind of my experience. It just brings a smile to my face, right? And I sort of like my eyes feel a little teary and I'm smiling. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of generosity in what you're saying, too. Um, being bound up by this experience, this existence, this incarnation, if you will, if it's mm-hmm. been, yeah. you know, it's not, it isn't what you, when you genuinely love someone, you do, you do want to see them be released from their psychic pains and their psychic wounds. And yeah, I think yeah, that probably, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, probably did occur when you were fly fishing together, which was, I thought, um, Mm -hmm. just an amazing, amazing thing. Um, I have thought of taking up golf, but you know, I'm really not going to go there, Cheryl. I just, I just draw the line somewhere, but you really did model something beautiful. You've got to have a bottom line, Diane. You've got to have a bottom line. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Too big of a distance, uh too small a ball. No. There's no way. Um, okay, but I'm I, I hear that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I do think that that sense of enjoying with someone in something that they love that's mm-hmm. their passion, um, it's it's connecting mm-hmm. you at such a such a deep level. And you know, as you say, you you know, there's nothing not to like being out in nature. Um, and yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you had your own attraction to it, and you became actually quite talented at being on the river and fly fishing. I wondered <laughs> well, if quite, quite talented might be stretching it, but I, I, I did become, you know, competent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Competent. Yeah. And, you know, even the, even the yeah. big guys kind of looked up to you and um, while they yeah, were busy yeah. talking about having, you know, having caught, uh, you know, Moby Dick and you were laughing <laughs> inwardly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. just wondered if you, if you see yourself going out on the river again, um, to do this kind of thing, or if that really belonged to John and your experience together? I 
after he died, I, I went and there's a, another uh, person, character, because he is a character, my oldest friend in the world, Bill, a.k.a. Billy Woods, um, uh, you know, who, who appears frequently in, in, this, in this memoir. Uh, Bill and John and I were, had a scheduled fly fishing trip, and this is mentioned in, in the book also, and uh, Bill and I did go. And so I, I did the fishing. It was interesting. That was really close in. That was only five months after John had died. <laughs> you know, we go to meet the guide, and I have forgotten my boots, and I'm I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a mess, right? And um, but we had a wonderful guide who actually, as as these guides are, and I mentioned this, you know, they they're very invested in you you catching a fish, and he he did take us to some beautiful spots, and. Um, so I, I did that fishing, and then I felt like, ooh, I, I can't do it. It was too hard for me to do. Uh, and the next fishing was then when I did go to Montana on the guided trip that, that John had won, that um, Casting for Recovery generously gave to me, mm-hmm. and with the guide, you know, Mike, Dirty Mike Elliott, um, uh, best day of fishing in my entire life. And I, I, at that point, I enjoyed it, and I got into the rhythm of it. But again, when that was done, I felt... Uh, it just felt too hard. But recently, I have started thinking, you know, it might be nice. Um, there's one guide up in Northern California in the Mount Shasta area. And, of course, right now in California, you know, I, there's no water anywhere. So, really, fishing has mm-hmm. been uh, very uh, affected by this and, you know, concern for some of these wild trout who probably are not doing well on the lack of water. But I do think about, um, this is a guy named Wayne Ng, who's a really mm-hmm. lovely man, and I, I, I can imagine myself, you know, contacting him and saying, yeah, you want to take me out? Um, so, you know, really it's taken like five years for me to, to think about, you know, could I, could I go back to this um, mm-hmm. and not have it be just too painful because John wasn't there? But I, I think I'm getting ready for that. I think that's lovely. There's something circular about that. Um, and you okay. should just come you should just come here to Switzerland, actually, Cheryl. We, we've been inundated oh, with gosh. water. <laughs> the, the, the water levels oh. are rec- record high. And you know it's it's uh-huh. it's not to be laughed at the climate change impacts that are going on. It's no. really something mm-hmm. um, no. mm-hmm. really something quite mournful in and of itself. We're going to yes. have to yes. stop stop um, for a commercial break. But I do recall this experience that you had with the, the first guide, and you know, he was not talkative and kind of gruff and maybe a little <laughs> doubtful. And I was like, yes. And then she caught a lot of fish. I was so happy for you. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it seems like it's something that is in your blood. You, you even talked about how you empathize. You sort of feel more like the fish than the fisherwoman. So yeah. you understand how a yeah. fish behaves. And I thought, wow, that's mm-hmm. really very poetic and very insightful. Um, we are we are going to stop for a break, but when we come back, we're going to continue speaking with Cheryl Crowder, author of Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. And don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. 
Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cheryl Crowder, who, among other things, became a fly fisherwoman herself in order to, I think, um, really garner essential time with her husband, John, um, when he was most at his essence and and in that way that you built bridges, Cheryl. In addition, you're the author of three books now. Then this is the memoir, the first memoir, Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. Um, it's available wherever books are sold. And I drew a lot of inspiration fr- from it um, and found this quote when I was out like looking, searching for, I don't know, something that could co- try to encapsulate, um, although you did a great job of it yourself. But here's a quote from Gene Safer. You never know how the loss will come, whether he will lose you or you him. But it is a certainty that there will be a shattering involuntary separation. Death is the abandonment caused not by betrayal, but by fidelity. I mean, you definitely had that bond, had that sense of... Incredible, incredible quote. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, lo- I loved it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, yeah, this, beautiful. This, this palpable bond that you formed with John, um, oh, oh, yeah, over, you know, over other temperamental differences that, you know, you also managed to be inquisitive about rather than accusatory and really had a lot to do with mending. So um, I, I thought we would just, um, I thought I would just ask, um, you know, is abandonment then you know, the biggest anxiety or is it, you know, who will care for you? I mean, you seem like a very self-sufficient mm. person. Um, you've learned to care well for yourself. Is is the anxiety then feeling alone? And what would it be like to, to meet someone? I know you've dabbled in groups <laughs> little you know meet, meet and greet groups in the book and, and there, yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of women out there um unfortunately many women out there in your shoes um from different circumstances but from the loss of a partner and i i wondered you know that sense of betrayal is that also an anxiety that you might feel that sense of betrayal um were you to meet another person hmm Mm-hmm. I don't think I would feel that now. Um, I, I don't think I would feel that now. Um, if anything, I would feel that um, the spirit or the person of John would want me to, um, you know, 
be happy, would want that for me. I just have no doubt about that. Um, what's interesting, though, recently, it's an interesting question because recently I was thinking, you know, about about being alone and because I, you know, I was, uh, I, I had lived alone. I, I you know, I, I was married later in life. You know, I had been on my own. So that, I think, helps when there's a loss of a, of a spouse. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it like all better, so to speak. But I think that people who perhaps have never been on their own, uh, that can really be devastating because there's no experience of being able to know that, yeah, it really is, is devastating and it's, it's incredibly painful, but there's a knowing inside, okay, I can, I can get up, I can do what I need to do, and there's a, a reliance on the self that um, if someone doesn't have that, I think that is a, is a very serious um, serious place to be. Right now, sometimes I wonder, and it's again sort of in a, in a sadness, and this is perhaps another level of letting go, hard to know because I'm kind of in it right now, but sometimes I feel like a poignant feeling like, gosh, will, will someone ever love me like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. in, that, in that sort of spousal lover way, and, um, and that occurs to me as, as a poignant place. Definitely. And, and will I ever have that too, you know, because I certainly, as, you know, it's mentioned in the book and what's not mentioned as a book is some of my dabbling, as you put, or some of my, my misadventures or, you know, with some of the saying, well, let's see how this goes and then deciding, oh, no, this is not going well, <laughs> you know, but, but who, you know, I recently heard a story because I, I just I was asked to write a, uh, a chapter again loss uh, for for a book on loss for Oxford Press and I was talking with the editor who I know um, he's uh, he works in the cancer field and you know one of the one of the other editors who had had a, a loss of a spouse had recently fallen in love and you know was too preoccupied to really work with the book and we were saying oh that's fantastic that you know that's happening and and I said to him I said well you know that 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 gives me hope and and bless his heart he. He's like, oh, he says, he says, oh, yes. He says, well, oh, Cheryl, says, he said to me, you're just like a volcano. Sometimes I was like, wow, well, that's a great thing to say. But, you know, how many people can, can really match a volcano? And I think that's part of what occurs to me, you know. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah. Would it be nice to have, have love? Of course. And um, I don't know. Yeah. None of us really knows, right? But um, I think what you described about, um, you know, even a separation through divorce for a person who's never been on their own, mm-hmm. there's yeah, a la- yeah, there's yeah. there's less of a trust of oneself and one's yeah. ability to be in, in an environment. But speaking as a person who married a man who um, lost quite suddenly his wife, oh. his his late wife. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Way, way too young. She was 48 years old. Similar circumstances. Oh, yeah. um, and I do question myself a lot. Um, you, you know, I try not to anymore because it just seems like such an, a kind of a, a, a pathway to nowhere. But I do ask myself, have I, loved, <laughs> have I loved Peter as well as she loved Peter? So, I mean, there's also, oh, mm-hmm. you know, there's also other ways of, of looking at it that, you know, mm-hmm. you feel that mm-hmm. you want to fill the shoes or you know, it's always going to be different. Uh-huh. But yeah. It is, yeah. it is something that um, I think you needn't, um, 
you know, there's there's always going to be that question, will I be loved like this? And, you yeah, know, we don't yeah, know. But yeah. it given the attractions and the law laws of attraction that you're experiencing, I, I just wouldn't be terribly surprised if you met someone you had some commonality <laughs> this way with. Um, so uh-huh, I uh-huh. There was also, um, you know, in, in literary language, the, the fly fishing, like it's, it's, it's like the objective corollary, right? It's the thing that stands in for lots of things. So you've got like catch and release and, you know, you brought out mm-hmm. that point so beautifully in the book um, about how catching and releasing is, you know, this release is symbolic of having to let go. You also talk about yeah. the mar- mm-hmm. margins of cover and risk, like fish mm-hmm. do, where they, you know, will mm-hmm. let themselves be a little bit exposed, but you have to kind of creep up on them in your hands and knees um, to, to, to <laughs> you know. And and it's really it's it's very interesting. And I I wondered if you felt that this experience had made you feel kind of terribly exposed. It's back to the vulnerability again. And whether you can feel some of the margins of cover coming back now that it's been five mm-hmm. years, what that evolution is like. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, first to speak to your experience, which I was touched by what you said. It's you know I think like it's almost like will there be a ghost? Will there will will there be a ghost in the relationship? You know, and um, the ghost of someone else and and. I mean, that could be through a death or a divorce or whatever, you know, but, um, like, I really appreciated what you said about your own experience. And in mine, you know, one of the things that I really loved about about being with John in the water was um, he taught me how to read water. Mm-hmm. And um, reading water is like what, what you were just describing. You know, you stand and you look at a river and you look at, places like the over the underhang and there's a little bit of shade and there might be a branch there or there's a rock and and the wa- the way the water sort of rolls over the rock it's bubbly there's also a lot of oxygen there and i began to be able to see right into the water and and where the fish as they say where the fish lie I am feeling a need. That's a very interesting question that you just I am feeling a need more to find at this point a bit, uh, you know, where, where's my lie? Where, where do I sort of go in that shady spot that has a little bit of covering, not, not totally covered, but where, you know, the fish or I see out through the water and I look out, but there's a sense of being, um, of restfulness there, of protectiveness there, you know, I've been, been really in a very extroverted um, mode for a while, and I am feeling the need to sort of pull into that quieter um, flow, that watery world um, that, um, that I do like to live in, and I think that's where fish live, and that's how I became more of a fish. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm more identified with um, that world, that under... I mean, I do, I, I, I work in an underwater world all the time, you know, in a metaphoric way. Constantly we're underwater, we're in caves, we're, you know, down rabbit holes, we're on mountains. And um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of extreme sports, and I finally figured mm-hmm. out why. It's because um, I could never, ever do any of that. I'm completely uncoordinated. But I love when people jump off of mountains or they, you know, they ride their bikes across canyons. 
And I realized that that is sort of the way that my inner world works in the work that I do. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The challenges, accepting the challenges. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. seeking, seeking sanctuary um, is a very valid impulse and a very generative impulse. I do want people to know in the closing moments um, that we have that um, you do, even though you don't do extreme sports, you do have the ability to be in complete attunement with nature, as witnessed by the fact that the day that you did spread John's ashes was the evening of the mm. Aurora Borealis. And I, I kind yeah, of yeah. Went, went a little out of my mind when that happened because I thought that, that, <laughs> that is astounding. That, that really is astounding. Yeah. And um, I think the yeah. symbolic nature... And and you talk about the myths of, of the myth of, of myths of myths M I S, and that how mm-hmm. we don't really process through stories um, and understanding parts of ourselves in mythology um, the way we could and, and use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. In just these few moments, I mean, has that what has been? Um, do you think the most significant tool, or is it just a whole array of tools that have helped you process this loss? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it a tool, but I would say, as I say, I say to myself and to others, just leaning into loss, not fighting it. Um, <clears throat> People can be afraid of it, and, you know, people around you, and they mean well. They can say, oh, you know, it's going to be okay, or, you know, it's time to move on. Um, but really to allow the timelessness, to not be afraid of it, and to just let, to let the river take you where it needs to go, and it, it will do that. And, and there will be that sense of coming through something, to the other side, is it ever forgotten? No. Is it is it there forever? Of course. Yet it's just different. And at the beginning of of a loss, whatever type of loss it is, you know, there's that sense of nothing will ever feel better again. And and just allowing to have those feelings and that experience, and believing and trusting, perhaps trusting is the best word, trusting that, um, that we'll, we'll get to the other side. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And uh, I thought, I think very thoughtful, the, the river will, it will do that. Um, you can find uh-huh. Cheryl Crowder on, on Facebook at, at C-E-K, Crazy Writer, um, and also <laughs> on your website, Cheryl Crowder, psychotherapist, writer, speaker, Twitter, Cheryl Crowder, at, uh, you know, at Cheryl Crowder, and in LinkedIn. So um, connect with Cheryl. In addition to finding this book, Odyssey of Ashes, A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Letting Go, just wherever books are sold, but of course, always we favor our indie bookstores. Thank you very much for being with us, Cheryl. Thank you, Diane. I'm very appreciative and grateful for your thoughtfulness today. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you also to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe. And that when we do what someone we love loves, it's everything. Till next week, thank you for dropping in.
Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.